Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28. So this morning we're taking a break from Genesis, obviously, uh, because we want to talk this morning about our mission as a church, our vision for the future, and our strategy to get there. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, in fact one month from today, uh, one month ago today, our elders got together and we went on a retreat and we were seeking the Lord's guidance as we sought to answer those questions. What is our mission as a church? What is the vision for the future? And how do we get there? And so we would like to share with you today. uh, We went into that retreat and we prayed together. We prayed individually. We read a great gospel-centered book together. We were in the Word together. We talked. We brainstormed. We sought the Lord. And we left that weekend feeling like we were all of one mind and on the same page in terms of where we believe the Lord is leading us as a church. And so we want to share that with you today. And uh, it all starts with our mission, our mission as a church. Now, when we ask the question, what is our mission? We have to ask that question differently than other organizations. Because we are a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't get to create our mission. We receive our mission. When it comes to thinking about our mission as a church, we don't want to be innovative. We want to be submissive. And as it turns out, our mission as a church is the same mission that every faithful church has had for the last 2,000 years. It's the Great Commission. We see the Great Commission in several places in the scripture. We see it, uh, Luke records it in his gospel and in Acts. We see hints of it in John and Mark. Uh, We see it fleshed out, lived out, obeyed in Acts and then also in the rest of the New Testament. But this morning we're going to look at Matthew's account of it in Matthew 28. So let's read together Matthew 28. And we're going to focus on verses 18 through 20. But let's start at verse 16 for context. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples." Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let me set the scene for you. The disciples of Jesus were a pretty sorry bunch. They were nobodies. They were tax collectors, fishermen, and of other professions that are even less noteworthy than those. They had left everything to follow Jesus, but they struggled to believe all that Jesus taught them. They had highs and lows. Uh, Peter, the chief disciple, at one point confesses Jesus is the Christ. And Jesus says, you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. And the next moment, Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that he's going to go to the cross. And Jesus calls him Satan. There's some highs and there's some lows. And even though these disciples were following the most humble man to ever walk the face of the earth. They were constantly fighting with each other about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Things got really bad toward the time that Jesus was arrested and crucified. The night that he was betrayed, Jesus was in the garden and his disciples couldn't even stay awake long enough to pray with him. Then whenever Jesus was arrested, most of them scattered. One of the disciples, Judas was even responsible for betraying Jesus and handing him over to the Jewish authorities. And he regretted it so much, he went and hanged himself. And that's why we only have 11 disciples by the time we get to our chapter today. 
And then Peter, who swore that he would never abandon Jesus, denies him three times. The disciples were faithless, they were weak, and their Lord was dead. But then, the third day after Jesus died, he rose from the grave. But despite the fact that Jesus had told them three times, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again, none of them were there at the tomb waiting for him to rise. Some women had come to the tomb that morning and they found an angel when they got there. And the angel tells them, Jesus isn't here, he's risen, go tell the disciples Meet Jesus in Galilee. So the women are freaking out. They go, and on their way to the disciples, Jesus runs into them, and he tells them the same thing. Go, tell my disciples, meet me in Galilee. So they go, and they tell the disciples. And what we have, by the time we get to verse 16, is these disciples have heard from the women that they're supposed to go to Galilee, and they meet Jesus there in Galilee. So they come, and when they see their Lord that they thought was dead— The text says they bow down and worship him, but it says also that some doubted. That word doubted has the sense of they hesitated, they wavered. In other words, the disciples were nervous, and for good reason, right? I mean, they're standing there, and they're happy to see their Lord alive, but I mean, they've got to be thinking, oh no, (laughs) what's he going to do now? What's he going to say to us now? We're abandoners. We're deniers. We're weak. We've wavered. And we thought he was gone, and now he's here, and oh, no. And, you know, we can relate to these 11 disciples. We as followers of Jesus know how wavering we can be. We know how weak we can be. How faithless we often are. We may not deny Jesus explicitly, but how often do we deny that we're followers of Jesus by the way that we live? Or the way we sin against people with our mouths? How often do we live lives that don't look anything like someone who's supposed to be following Jesus? If the resurrected Jesus walked into this room, I I have no doubt our response would be the same as these disciples. We'd bow down and worship. But I think we would be hesitant too. Oh no. I thought I had some more time to get my act together. Oh no, Jesus, what's he going to say to me? We have good reason to doubt whether or not Jesus could ever use us. To doubt what could possibly come out of Jesus' mouth next. But here's what we need to see. Jesus looks at these disciples. These weak, faithless, hesitant disciples, just like you and me. And what does he say to them? I'm going to use you to change the world. What? Us? Deniers? Abandoners? Weak, faithless, nobodies like us? That's right. I'm going to use you to change the world. So look at us. We're no different than them. Weak, faithless, deniers, abandoners. We don't have impressive resumes. There's not really that many of us in the grand scheme of things. But we as a church, just like the disciples, need to hear the voice of Jesus saying to us, I want to use you to change the world. Jesus, in his infinite mercy... And his infinite wisdom has given us the mission of making disciples of all nations. Us. Not only that, he's given us the authority and the power to actually be able to do it. So here's the main point that we need to see from this text this morning. Our resurrected Lord calls and empowers all of his disciples to make disciples. Our resurrected Lord calls and empowers all of his disciples to make disciples. So as we look at the Great Commission, there's three things that Jesus gives us in the Great Commission. 
He gives us the authority to make disciples. He gives us the command to make disciples. And he gives us the power to make disciples. So first of all, let's look at verse 18 and the authority to make disciples. Jesus says in verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The authority of Jesus is critical to our mission for two reasons. First of all, we need to realize we have been given a mission by the one who has all authority. There's no one above his pay grade. We need to listen up when he says, I have a mission for you. This authority of Jesus is something that's been a theme throughout Matthew's gospel. In chapter 7, we see that Jesus taught as one with authority. He was able to heal sins because, or excuse me, heal diseases because he had the authority to heal diseases. He was even able to forgive sins that were committed against God. He had that authority. And then here as we come to Matthew 28, Jesus is standing before his disciples, having died and come back to life, standing there proving he has the authority even over life and death itself. As we read from Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 20 and following, when the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The resurrected Jesus has all authority given to him by the Father. And so when we see this great commission, this, this mission of our church, this isn't an idea from a pastor. It's not an idea from some book or some committee that got together and said, what should we do? This isn't a a message from a pope or something like that. No, this is a mission from the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's a second reason why the authority of Jesus is really significant when it comes to our mission. And that's this. When we talk about our mission, this great commission, if we really take this seriously, if we really do what Jesus calls us to do, we're talking about doing some pretty bold things. We're talking about telling people to change their lives. We're talking about, in baptism, affirming the genuineness of someone's conversion. We're talking about telling people what to believe telling people how they ought to live. What gives us the right to do that? What gives us the right to tell people what they should do, what they should believe, how they should live their life? The authority of Jesus gives us the right. We are going with the very authority of Jesus when we are going to make disciples. Now, there's a flip side of that. We also need to recognize that we have no right to make the mission of the church anything other than what the one with all authority has told us. We have no right to tell someone they have to do something that's not in the Bible. We have no right to do anything other than than what the one with all authority has told us to do. But when it comes to carrying out our mission, we are doing so with the authority of the one who has all authority. So we see the authority to make disciples in verse 18. Jesus has given us the authority to make disciples. And then in verses 19 and 20, Jesus gives us the command to make disciples. So grammatically in this passage, make disciples is the central command. It's the heart of what Jesus is commissioning us as his disciples to do, to make disciples. And this is what Jesus did in his life. He gathered Disciples like these 11 that are standing before him. He taught them. He invited them to come and follow him, to follow his example, to learn from what he says and what he did. He was gathering followers for himself. So we see Jesus did this in his life. He made disciples. But when we make disciples, we do need to recognize there's a big difference between the way that Jesus made disciples and the way that he wants us to make disciples. Jesus made disciples of himself we are to make disciples not of ourselves but of jesus as those who are followers of jesus ourselves we know the joy 
of listening to Jesus' voice, of following his example. And we get the privilege of helping others do the same. As we follow Christ, we have the privilege of helping others follow this Christ, learn from his voice, learn from his example. We have the joy and privilege of pointing people, not to ourselves, not to say, hey, do what I do, hey, let me build my own following, but to build followers of Jesus. And he says in this command that we are to make disciples of all nations. All nations. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, his primary focus was on what he called the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But now as we come post-resurrection, the mission goes to all. All nations, Jews and Gentiles. All people. This includes the place where we live, and it includes the places that, where we don't live. So Jesus will go on in Acts 1.8 to say, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you are right now, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when we talk about making disciples, we're not just talking about our nation. We're also not just talking about other nations. And we're also not just talking about one demographic group. When it comes to our church, we don't want to be one kind of church, one small demographic. We don't want to be a white church. We don't want to be a rich church. We don't want to be a blue-collar church or a white-collar church. We want to be making disciples of all, all nations. So the central command of the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. But there's these other commands, go, baptize, teach. And these other commands flesh out the process of making disciples. So this process of making disciples starts with the first command to go. The first thing we have to do if we're going to make disciples is go out. Making disciples does not happen by accident. We can't wait for people to come to us. When Jesus says we need to go, that we are to go out, that means we need to actively pursue people who don't know Jesus. And we don't just pursue them for any reason or to do anything. We pursue them with a message. We go with a message, the gospel of Jesus. Flip over to Luke 24. We see this fleshed out in Luke's account of this great commission. Luke 24, starting in verse 45. Jesus is with his disciples and... Luke tells us that then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. No one can be made a disciple Unless a disciple of Jesus comes to them and speaks the message of the gospel. The message that Jesus died and rose again so you can be forgiven of your sins and have eternal life if you repent and believe the gospel. So we want to actively pursue people with the message of the gospel. That's what it means to go out. Second, we go out and then we bring in. We bring in. So Jesus says in this great commission, we're, we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. That word in has the sense of into, into the name. In other words, baptism is an entrance it's an entrance. And this entrance has two sides to it. On the one hand, you have the person being baptized who is doing the entering. On the other hand, you have the church who has been given the command to baptize, who is baptizing the person 
who is welcoming the person who is entering. For the person who's being baptized, this is their first step in following Jesus. By being baptized, a person is saying, I want to identify with Jesus, and I want to enter into the community of believers, of fellow followers of Christ who have repented and believed the gospel. For us as a church, when we baptize, what we're doing is affirming that this, this person has repented and believed the gospel. We are welcoming him or her to enter into our family of believers. Our family of believers who is committed to help one another on the path of discipleship. So we are to, as disciple makers, go out, actively pursue the message of the gospel, and we are to bring in, bring in to the community of faith. And then third, we are to grow up. To go out, to bring in, and we are to grow up. Making disciples is not over when a person repents and believes the gospel. The Great Commission covers someone's entire spiritual journey. All the way back to when they're dead in sins and trespasses, all the way to when they are fully mature in Christ-likeness. The Great Commission covers our whole spiritual journey. And we see this idea of growing up in Jesus' command to teach them all, to observe all that I have commanded you. This idea of teaching involves a number of things. On the one hand, it involves communicating information. We are to teach, we are to communicate information. What Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection, what he taught while he was here on earth. We're to teach the Old Testament, which Jesus says all is about him and points to him. We're to teach the New Testament, which is the authoritative teaching of Jesus' apostles. We're, we're to take the whole Bible and teach disciples what Jesus commanded. But actually, that's a misstatement because Jesus did not say, teach them what I commanded. He says, teach them to observe all that I have commanded. The Great Commission is not about communicating information only. It's about transformation. We don't just want to know what Jesus said. We want to follow what Jesus said. We don't want to just hear from Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And so to make disciples, we're calling people to repentance and faith. From the first moment that they're dead in sins and need to hear the gospel and believe it, we're calling them to repent and believe. The most mature Christian this side of eternity, we're calling them repent and believe. That's making disciples. We're calling them to obey Jesus, to follow his example, which means that if we're making disciples, we need to be leading by example and showing, demonstrating what it looks like to be transformed by the gospel and to follow Christ. So Jesus has given us the authority to make disciples. He's given us the command to make disciples, to go out, to bring in, to grow up. But there's a problem. We can't do this. We can't. We're weak, remember? We established that from the beginning. We're, we're too weak. We're not faithful enough to really take Jesus' commission, Jesus' mission for his church, these commands, and we're not faithful enough to carry this out and to go do this. And that's why the Great Commission does not end there. Because the last thing we need to see is that Jesus has given us the power to make disciples. Jesus has given us the power to make disciples. Look at the last part of verse 20. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we really take seriously this mission, and we really try to do what Jesus has said to do, we are attempting something that is guaranteed to fail if Jesus is not with us. You know, we can succeed at a whole lot of stuff without Jesus. We can draw a crowd without Jesus. We can have great kids' programs without Jesus. We can make people feel really good about their self-esteem without Jesus. We can do service projects without Jesus. According to Jesus, we can even cast out demons and do mighty works in his name without him, without knowing him. 
But if we are to make disciples, if we are to do what Jesus is calling us to do, we must depend on the presence of Jesus with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so critical to this mission that in Luke's account of the Great Commission, Jesus actually told his disciples not to do this until the Holy Spirit came upon them. He said, wait, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. That's how critical it is that we are radically dependent upon the Holy Spirit in order to make disciples. But here's the good news. Jesus did send the Holy Spirit. Every single person who has repented of sin and trusted in Christ to save them from sin has received the gift of God himself, the person of the Holy Spirit, in us. And what that means is we can carry out this mission. Weak, faithless, deniers and abandoners like us can carry out the mission of Jesus because we have been given God himself in us to empower us to carry out this mission. He is with us all day, every day, until the last day. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is born and he is called Emmanuel, God with us. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has given us the power to make disciples. Our resurrected Lord calls and empowers all of his disciples to make disciples. He's given us the authority. He's given us the command. He's given us the power. This, this is our mission as a church. So as the elders got together and we considered that question, what is our mission as a church? The answer was really clear. It's right here in black and white. This is the mission that Jesus has given. So the question then became, well, how do we articulate the timeless, universal mission of the church for our church today? For the church that is right here in this place at this time that is applied to us. And so I want to show you our mission statement. It's just a way of articulating the Great Commission for our church. Let me show this to you. We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Would you read this out loud with me? We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Every part of this mission statement is intentional. First, notice that word be. We exist to be disciples. We never graduate from disciple to disciple maker. We are helping others follow Jesus as we ourselves, first and foremost, are following Jesus. We're always gr growing. We're always learning. We never graduate from disciple to disciple maker. So we exist to be followers of Jesus. We exist to follow Jesus. But then we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. We are not fulfilling our mission as a church if we stop at just following Jesus. The one with all authority and heaven on earth has commanded us not just to follow him, but to make disciples, to go out, to bring in, to grow up. And then of Jesus Christ, like we talked about, we are not making disciples of us. We're not making disciples of Rocky Point Baptist Church. We're making disciples of Jesus Christ. We want people to know and follow Jesus. And then in Erath County, the one all authority in heaven and on earth has placed us here sovereignly for his purpose and his will. And his will, by placing us here, is to make disciples here in Erath County. It's critical that if we are carrying out our mission, that Erath County is not just the place we go from, 
to go make disciples other places. First and foremost, Erath County is a place that we go to in order to make disciples. But we don't just want to stay in Erath County. We make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world. We want to be a part of God's global work of reaching the unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing disciples raised up all throughout the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, again, we will fail if we are not radically dependent upon the Holy Spirit in order to empower us to carry out our mission. And then lastly, to the glory of God the Father. The Great Commission is the mission of the church, but what we need to realize is that the Great Commission is not the ultimate purpose of all things. It's not the end game. The ultimate purpose of all things is to bring glory to God. John Piper famously said, missions exists because worship doesn't. We want to go and make disciples because we want our light to so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's the ultimate purpose for which the Great Commission exists. It exists to the end that God would be glorified. We're not just going out and bringing people in so that they can come in and then go out and bring more people in as if it's just this hamster wheel. We're bringing people in to something. And more specifically, we're bringing people in to someone. As we are making followers of Jesus, what we want to do is lead people to their ultimate purpose. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So all of this is to the glory of God the Father. So let's read our mission statement together out loud one more time. We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. So that is our mission. So next let's talk about vision. So What's the difference between mission and vision, first of all? Well, when we're talking about mission, like I said, we're talking about the timeless, universal marching orders that Jesus has given to every church, every place, in, in all times. When we talk about vision, though, we're talking not about something that's timeless, but about something that is for our time. We're talking about vision. We're not just talking about something universal, but we're asking the question about, what about our church? And while the mission is something that's it's never totally achieved this side of eternity, it's something that's always going to be a target that we're aiming for, that guides us, that directs us, that gives us clarity. When we're talking about vision, we're talking about something that is achievable. It's challenging, but it's achievable. Ultimately, what we're talking about, when we're talking about vision, we're asking the question, what do we want our church to look like in the future? What does our church in the future look like if everything goes well? So as the elders got together and we looked at our mission and we considered, okay, what is the vision for the future? What's our vision for the future? We specifically wanted to ask, how does our vision for the future relate to the mission that Jesus has given us? In other words, what would our church look like in five years if we really took seriously the mission that Jesus has called us to as a church. What would our church look like in five years if we doubled down on the things that we're already doing to make disciples of Jesus? What would our church look like if we stopped doing things that don't contribute to our mission? And what would our church look like if we started growing in the ways that we're not currently making disciples? If we do this, if we take our mission seriously, we believe we'll see a number of things start happening in our church. We believe we'll see more evangelism happening among our members. We believe we'll see more multiplication happening in our church, not just in terms of converts, although, Lord willing, we'll see multiplication in converts, but we'll also see more people growing. We'll see leaders multiplied within our church. We believe that we'll see our individual identity shaped 
by the fact that Jesus has personally sent us. And so we need to realize we're talking here about not just programs of the church. We're asking this question, what if we all individually, personally ask this question, how can I reorient my life, my family, my career, my calendar, my wallet, my ministry, around my identity as being sent by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We believe if we do this, we will be more engaged as a church in loving Erath County. And we believe that if we really commit to our mission, then our congregation is going to look more like Erath County than it already does. We believe we'll see more members of our church owning ministry leadership. So imagine with me, imagine if you looked at Rocky Point Baptist Church in 2025 and these things could be true about us. We have 12 thriving community groups meeting weekly for Bible study and monthly for home fellowship. They are multiplying leaders, integrating new members, and birthing new groups. Our groups engage at least once a quarter in a service project in our community. They also host a missional hangout once a quarter to which they invite lost friends and neighbors for the purpose of building relationships. 90% of our members are actively involved in sending or going, either through praying or giving or local projects or international mission trips. We are baptizing at least one new convert every Sunday morning in gathered worship. Every person we baptize is connected to a member who walks them through the basics of Christian doctrine and practice. We have sent 50 graduating seniors to strategic missional locations where they are both taking the next step in their careers and advancing the spread of the gospel. We're launching a church planter who has been trained and resourced by our church to go plant a new church in a spiritually needy location. Our congregation's racial, economic, and cultural makeup matches that of our community. That's just a taste of what our church could look like. But that is a church that has reoriented itself around its mission to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, To the glory of God the Father. So this is a bold vision. This is a bold vision. And it's going to take a lot of practical steps in order to get there. And it's not going to succeed if all we do is consider what do the pastors and the staff need to do to change the programs of the church. This is only going to succeed. This vision of the future is only going to become a reality if every member of Rocky Point Baptist Church owns the mission that Jesus has given us. It's only going to succeed if every single member of Rocky Point Baptist Church catches the vision of what our church could look like if we truly commit to the mission that Jesus has given us. It's only going to become a reality if all of us commit to taking practical steps of spirit-empowered faith and obedience in order to get there. So this this is a bold vision. So how are we going to get there? Well, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And so this morning, we are going to take one step toward this vision. We're going to take one step toward greater faithfulness to our mission as a church. We mentioned that in the mission that Jesus has given us, there's there's different different elements. We go out, we bring in, and we grow up. And this first step that we're going to take is focused on that go out. 
we are just going to take one step as a church this morning. And in fact, we're just going to focus on one person. This morning, I want to ask you to identify one. One. Who is one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus? One individual soul with their own unique story, their own unique challenges to faith, their own unique need for gospel conversation. Who is one person in your life whose salvation you can commit to praying for every single day? Who is one person that you can look for opportunities to share the gospel with? Maybe you have a bunch of people who could be your one. Maybe you need to step out and build a relationship with one. But this is the question that we want every single member of Rocky Point Baptist Church to be able to answer. Who's your one? Who is your one? And we want this question to change the culture of our church. This is not a program. This isn't an evangelism method. It's really, it's just a simple question. But by answering this question, this simple question gets us to focus more on an individual soul that needs Jesus. This simple question gets us to think more about that person. And the more we think about that person, the more we will pray for that person. The more we pray for that person, the more we will love that person. The more that we love that person, we will want to share the gospel more with that person. So who is your one? Imagine if every member of our church just had one person that they were praying for. One person whose salvation they were committed to praying for every day. Imagine if every member of our church was committing, committed to sharing the gospel with just one, just one person. How could the culture of our church change if we were regularly asking each other, who's your one? And encouraging one another as we seek to share the gospel and pray for one another. What if we were asking each other that question in our Bible study groups, in home fellowship, in discipleship classes, in the hallway, around the coffee pot on Sunday morning? What if that was what characterized our conversations as a church? Our care and our concern and our love for individual souls. Imagine how the culture of our church would change if we were constantly encouraging one another in this and praying for one another in this. Imagine the joy that we'll experience as a congregation when someone comes on a Sunday morning and one of us can say to another, that's my one. Imagine the joy that we can experience as a congregation when we step into the baptistry and one of us can say, that's my one. And more importantly, imagine how that one, how that one's life can be changed for all of eternity because just one person committed to praying for them and to share the gospel with them. So here's what I'm going to ask every single one of us to do. First of all, identify your one. So in your seat or in a seat near you, there's a bookmark. Go ahead and grab one of those. If there's not one, uh, I'm sure that there's someone nearby who has an extra one near them. Make sure you get one of these. On this bookmark, there's a blank space. There's actually two blank spaces. But on that blank space, write down the name of your one. Identify your one. Second, pray for your one. So also near you is one of these. It's a 30-day prayer guide. And again, if, if there's not one, 
uh, in your seat, uh, there should be someone near you who's got one, or you can grab one on one of these uh, empty seats on the way out. But this 30-day prayer guide, so we are asking every member of Rocky Point Baptist Church to commit to praying for 30 days every day for your one. And to use this as a guide to uh, guide your prayers for that person. Um, so what you can see here is, so this is, this is not our invention. This is not our idea. This is something that a lot of churches have, uh, have employed. It's a resource of the North American Mission Board. And it's something that is just a tool to put in the in hands of churches that can help us not focus on the, the booklets and the strategy and all that, but help us just focus on the one. Help us focus on praying for and, uh, and focusing on that individual and sharing with them. But what this prayer guide does, it's really simple. It just takes one or, one or two, maybe three verses a day, and it guides you in praying that scripture over your one. And those scripture verses are also on the bookmark uh, that, you, uh, that you have that has your one's name on them, if you want to use that to guide your prayer. So we're asking you to identify your one and to commit to praying every day for the next 30 days, starting today. So today is March 1st, and we're going to go through March 30th in these 30 days of prayer. And we're going to begin this. So this is really important for home group leaders, home fellowship, community group leaders. Um, tonight, in home fellowship, we are going to begin this. So in your home fellowship group tonight, I'm asking you to go around and identify, share with your group who your one is. And as a group, pray together for the ones represented in your group. Use this first verse. It's John 14, 6. Use this verse to pray over your ones represented in your group that have been identified. So identify your one, pray for your one. Third, look for opportunities to share the gospel with your one. Now, this might be, this might be able to happen really quick, or it might take some time for you to uh, find an opportunity to share the gospel with your one. When you do, it might be that you have an opportunity to give the A to Z of the gospel, or it might be that you just have an open door to just work in a little bit of gospel truth to point to the, the hope that you have within you. Uh, but what I'm asking is for you to have open eyes and open ears and be prayerful to the Lord for opportunities to share the gospel with your one. And then lastly, invite your one to church. So our goal in the Great Commission, our goal is not to get people in church. That's not the goal. Our goal is to see people repent and believe the gospel, to come to know Jesus and to become part of the family of God and, and then grow up with us. So our goal is not just to get people in church, but we do preach the gospel here. And so this is a great place, if you want your one to hear the gospel, to bring them to. But it's a both and. It's a both going and actively pursuing and giving the message of the gospel through your mouth, but also inviting to come and hear the gospel. And not only just to hear the gospel, but to see a group of people whose lives are being changed by the gospel and see what that looks like. Specifically, Specifically, as we consider this, these 30 days of prayer and the season that we're in in the calendar, I want to ask you to invite your one to Resurrection Sunday on April 12th. Easter Sunday morning, uh, Lord willing, we're going to be gathered here and we're going to be preaching the gospel from Luke 24 and the resurrection of Jesus. And that would be a great Sunday for you to invite your one to come and hear the gospel and then for you to have an opportunity to have a discussion with them afterward based on the gospel that they hear and you hear together. So identify your one, pray for your one, look for opportunities to share the gospel with your one, and invite your one to church. So let's read our mission together as a church one more time out loud. We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has given us the authority to make disciples. He has given us the command to make disciples. And he's given us the power to make disciples. We don't have to be the strongest. We don't have to be the most faithful. We don't have to be the most talented 
or the smartest. Jesus has called imperfect messengers like you and me to go out and actively pursue people actively pursue people with the message that is the very power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Jesus has called faithless people like you and me to bring in other people into the community of faith so we can all experience the grace of Jesus together. Jesus has called weak people like you and me, to help others grow up in Christ-likeness by the power of Christ in us. Our resurrected Lord calls and empowers all of his disciples to make disciples. And where do we start? With just one. So who's your one? Let's pray together. Father, as I come before you in prayer, um, I'm reminded that, Lord, there may be someone in this room today who is hearing uh, this mission that Jesus has given the church to go out with the message, the greatest news that's ever been heard. And they might be sitting here today and they're thinking, I, I, I need to believe that message. I am not a follower of Jesus. I haven't entered into the community of faith. I haven't identified with Jesus. I'm still living in sin. I'm still depending on myself. Lord, I pray that as we've sung the gospel, read the gospel, that, Lord, even today, that that person has heard the gospel, that you are a holy God, And that we are desperately sinful before you. That there's nothing we can do on our own to make ourselves right with you. But you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place, to rise again. So that if we let go of our sin, let go of living for ourselves, let go of trying to make it on our own. And we receive your grace and trust in Jesus. We can be forgiven and cleansed and given new life for all of eternity. Lord, I pray if there is one here today who needs to repent and believe the gospel, that they would do so. And Lord, if they have questions, I pray that they would find someone, a weak, faithless person in this room whose heart has been changed by the gospel and that they would ask, how can I know that Jesus? How can I follow that Jesus? And Lord, I pray that our church would never be the same as a result of, Lord, considering the mission that you have given by your grace to weak people like us. Lord, I pray that we would reorient our lives around this mission that that Jesus, the one that you have given all authority in heaven and on earth, that this mission that he has given to us. And Lord, I pray that we would know that it's possible because we have your presence with us in the Holy Spirit. But I pray that we would go out from this place recognizing that we are sent. That we would go out from this place recognizing that we have the full power of God himself in us. That we would go out from this place with the joy of being carriers of your gospel. Lord, may this be increasingly true of us. May our mission increasingly define who we are as individual followers of Jesus and who we are as a church. To your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.